Okay, so uh, we are on that exciting, we just finished a fantastic series with uh, Jonah and Peter. I'm still trying to figure out what to do with Peter, if you have any good ideas, because we still have like two, three, four, five chapters, maybe five chapters left in Peter that didn't coincide with Jonah. So I'm either going to stop it or immediately pick up with what the election looks like. So, I mean, it's a real toss-up right now. The horses are like, you know, Isaiah, Proverbs, David are kind of all right in there together. So if you want to push this thing over, I will give you till next week because I know this was a break and everybody was thinking about Turkey and now we're thinking about their intermittent fasting programs and all that kind of stuff. So next Sunday is the last time. This week you have it to push it ahead what we'll be doing. So we're going to do the, an Advent series starting today, okay? And I'm incredibly excited about this. I just want you to know that I am very, very excited. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Luke, and I think the theme is going to be prepare the way. Uh, for some reason, I'll explain it at Christmas if you come to the Christmas service, so there's my, my cliffhanger for you. Uh, there's a particular song I literally listen to every Sunday coming here, and it is so moving and powerful to me. And one of the lines is, prepare the way. And so we're going to do the series on prepare the way, and today we're going to start it off. We're going to be in Luke 3, verses 1 through 6. How, here's how we're going to begin. There's a guy named Brian Jarrell who's at the memorial service. He has a friend of his. His father was a pastor. His father dies, and they have a memorial service for him, and he goes to support his friend, and he watches his friend get up to give a eulogy for his father. And, and his friend tells a story. He says, once upon a time ago, there was a new driver, and this new driver totals his car. And then it gets worse. The new driver not only totals his car, but he, he wrecks a bunch of cars involving a bunch of people, and it's all his fault. And so when the police came, they're trying to sort things out with a bunch of angry people over a bunch of total cars that were all caused by this new driver, this friend, this kid. And so the police take the boy and put him in the back of the squad car, you know, the kind with the metal cage. And that's when his father arrives. And his father sees him sitting in the back seat of the police car. And he forgets about the total car he sees over there. And he forgets about the insurance mess. And he forgets about the family's reputation. And he forgets about his reputation. And he says, walks up to the police officers and says, let me sit with my son. And they let him. And this arrival changes everything, right? So Advent, what is Advent? Advent is the arrival. Specifically, it's the arrival of someone. And even more specifically, it's the arrival of someone that when he arrives, he changes everything. So let's stand for the hearing of God's word. So in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Atura and Traconitus, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Whew! 
The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we thank you for your word and just even as we just read and the word of God came to John in the wilderness. Oh God, would your word right now come to us in our wilderness? Shine on the page, fill us with your spirit, blow, Holy Spirit, blow. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we got Advent, the arrival, the arrival of someone who changes everything. All right, so let's look at verse 1, shall we? We got in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. This is the most powerful man in the world. This is the world's superpower. This is Caesar. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. This is Caesar's right-hand man in the Israelite territory. So all all the promised land realities of the Old Testament, if you're familiar with those stories, this Pontius Pilate is now the ruler, the local ruler of that area. And then Herod, this is Herod Antipas. This is the son of Herod the Great. You might have heard of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a brutal man. Herod the Great was so brutal, he murders his own wife. Herod the Great was so brutal, he he murders a town full of babies just to get and prevent the arrival. You're wondering, well, when is this time period? Well, one of the contemporaries, I just thought it was interesting because... I like looking at what histories are going on within the biblical history. Uh, A contemporary of Herod the Great was Cleopatra, and they had this tension-filled relationship. She couldn't stand him. So this Herod, this is the son of Herod the Great, this is Herod Antipas, is Tetrarch of Galilee. Now, Tetrarch... Should I give you this? Yeah. All right. You, can. you know what? I don't think I can because okay. it's going down Is my back. Yes. I don't want to flash everybody. <laughs> All right. This is weird because I like to move and I like to move my hands. So we'll figure this out. All right. So Tetrarch of Galilee means four, but there are three regions. So Herod, one son takes one area. Philip, the brother, the other son takes another area. Do you see this? Licinius, the other one takes the other area. One, one expert, Bible expert, called these guys petty princes. Like they were just a bunch of petty rulers, right? Almost like think of gangsters. Think like mafia, right? Think global elites, something like that. I don't know. All right, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, Annas and Caiaphas are holy people. 
They are considered the closest people on the planet to God. They are the most powerful religious people in the world. They radiated holiness. They radiated, I'm a super saint. They radiated God's special anointing, God's special favor, God's special presence. They radiated God's authority. And in the midst of all this live streaming life, right, on TikTok, tweet, Twitter, not Twitter, I was going to say Twitter. Oh, man. Nobel, do not say anything to me after this sermon, please. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, amidst all this live streaming life, institutional ideologies, corporate media, Netflix, amidst world superpowers, political struggles, political corruption, amidst ideological division, inflation, crime, amidst all of this, H-E-B, Amazon, (laughs) torches, and the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. So do you see what's happening here? It's breathtaking, isn't it? I mean, this was like just such a motivating first two verses of this passage. But what's so incredible about it is what you're supposed to know about this. In other words, what's happening in verses 1 and 2 is that the arrival is public. It's in real places, in real time, with real people, and real events. It's history, history, history. It happened. It was public. And it was public because the arrival is meant for everyone to see. And mostly for you. For you to consider it. Think about it. Gain some clarity in your mind about it. Understand it. Endless experts for the past 3,000 years uh, have documented that the Bible... And some of you might be hearing this for the first time, is the most historically reliable work ever written. That's a, that's a fact. It's not disinformation. It's an absolute fact. For 3,000 years, it's incredibly documented. You want the documentation, I'd be more than happy to get it to you. I just need, there's literally thousands of books. For example, you know the Battle Cry of Freedom? Anybody ever read that? It's this one volume, like the standard um, academic expert treatment of the Civil War by a guy named James McPherson. Uh, It's more historically reliable than that. It's more historically reliable than any authoritative work on Napoleon or Catherine the Great or Henry VIII or Jane Austen. Uh, By the way, you can now add, some of you, probably the younger people, know a guy named Graham Hancock. Anybody know that? (laughs) Y'all heard that name? Well, his eight-episode series called The Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix is blowing up. It's one of the top in, it's like in the top ten. It started at one, and now I think it's at ten, as I looked at last night. He went on Joe Rogan's podcast, blew everybody's minds on Joe Rogan's podcast, He is not a Christian. In fact, he is not a friend of Christianity, but he can't deny the reality and the evidence of it. The arrival is public for you to see. This is why the Apostle Paul, when he came to a a Roman leader, this guy named King Agrippa, and King Agrippa is 
interviewing him and asking him all kinds of questions. And Paul says to him, look, you already know about these things. He said, literally, they weren't done in a quarter. This was done publicly. So ask me, Agrippa, something you don't already know. Ask me a really tough question, maybe. Like, what does it all mean? But you already know about the historical facts. You already know about the public reality of the arrival. You already know it. Some of you, though, are, are skeptical of the arrival, the arrival. I get that. But here's what this text is saying to you. Here's what the, the Bible is saying to you. Here's what God is saying to you. Look it up. You can look it up. Just like you would research Napoleon. Just like 300 years from now, people will research President Biden. That's how it happens. This is how it works. Historical reliability. This text is also saying to you, because the arrival is public, you don't have to put your trust in some dude who has a private vision. Or some gal who has an angel visit her. Or some person that's the only person on the planet that receives this special teaching, divine teaching from God. Or someone who hears voices, is high on opium, sees hidden things, accesses secret knowledge, activates and connects to some universal force, or quite frankly is just a really wise person or a good leader. You don't have to put your trust in that. It's public. Real people, real time, real places, real history, public. By the way, all those things that I just mentioned, those are the ways of knowing that all the major religions came from and all the major cults in the world from those ways of knowing. But Christianity is so unique because it's public. The arrival happened publicly. Check it out. Look it up. All right, but others of us are waiting for God. So what does this public reality have to do with us? You're waiting for God to help you. You're waiting for God to answer you. You're waiting for God to work in a person's life. You're waiting for God to work in a specific situation. You're waiting for God to work in your own life. You're waiting for God to show you what to do. You're waiting for God in real places, in real people, in real events, in real time. And what this text is saying to you and what God is saying to you, for all of us who are waiting for the arrival of God to help us, answer us, move in our life and move in other people's lives and move in the culture. What this text says to you is this, he already arrived. And because he already arrived, there are many, many arrivals in your life. And you're thinking, yeah, that's great, but I'm still waiting. Yep. But here's what we do know from this text. He is going to arrive. And you're like, oh? And maybe we're talking about the second coming, right? 
And maybe that is tomorrow when your alarm goes off at five. Great. But maybe not. And it may be not next week either. And maybe another 300 years or 2,000 years. So how do you wait like that? And the text is so incredible because look what it says. Verse 2 actually explains how he does arrive. He absolutely arrives for you right now, presently. He absolutely helps you right now, presently. Do you see it? And the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Do you see how the word of God is personified here? So it's, it's a word that comes to John like a person does. It's personal. It's a word that arrives for John. Right? Actively, like a person. And the word of God came to John in the wilderness. And that literal translation is that the word of God actually came upon him, surrounded him, enveloped him. You can expect, because he's already arrived, that he will arrive for you in the word of God. And surround you and envelop you and come upon you and over you and in you unmistakably so. And don't miss where he comes in the wilderness. The arrival was public so that you would see he already arrived for you. Trust him to arrive in his word for you right now. Not later today, not next week, right now. Advent, the arrival, the arrival of someone who changes everything. All right, let's look at verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is phenomenal because you got to ask yourself, what's this region? What's the region? So, God is sending John to the first place to announce the arrival. What is this place? Where is this place? And the answer is so breathtaking. The answer is so stunning. The answer is scandalous. What is this region? What is this place? You know where it is? It's the back of the cop car. That region around the Jordan is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, the ancient world, in the Bible, out of the Bible, wouldn't even say the name Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a place that was literally turned into a pillar of salt, fire from heaven, consumed that area. It was a place so bad, they raped, wanted to rape, angels. And the first place that Jesus says, go, is Sodom and Gomorrah. Go, John. Go. Run. 
Sodom and Gomorrah is the most God-forsaken place on the planet, and that's where God goes first. That's where the arrival begins. Advent begins in Sodom and Gomorrah. So everyone craves biblical application today, right? I mean, come on. You do, I do, everyone craves it. Everybody wants it. Everybody's looking for it. I mean, everybody's saying, give me something to do, pastor. Those that do, blow up. So that's what I'll probably be doing after this new year. <laughs> I'm just going to start giving out tons of biblical application and biblical wisdom. Uh, tell me what to do, pastor. How do I improve? How do I get better? How do I be a better Christian? How can I fix my life? How can I connect with God, connect with people, connect with meaningful mission? Everybody is craving biblical application. Everyone is looking for ways to improve spiritually. Everyone wants to know how to handle their marriage, fix their marriage, improve their marriage, raise their kids God's way. Everyone craves biblical application. Verse 3 is the ultimate biblical application. Verse 3 is the consummate biblical application. Verse 3 is the most overlooked biblical application in the whole world. Verse 3 will literally change everything. Verse 3 will change you. Verse 3 would change your marriage. Verse 3 would change a culture. Verse 3 will change the way you connect with God, the way you connect with people, the way you connect with a meaningful mission. Verse 3 will change how you relate to money. Verse 3 will change your inner heart and how you deal with anger and anxiety and exhaustion and stress. Verse 3 is the ultimate biblical application. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. To receive a baptism of repentance means you finally get it. John, I need that baptism of repentance. It means you finally get get clarity in your mind and realness in your heart, I am Sodom and Gomorrah. Personally, I believe because we don't get that, we are craving all kinds of other biblical applications to get better. But if we got that, it's a game changer. And it's not a game changer like to crush you. It's a game changer that sets you free. It's a game changer that lets you rise from the ashes. It's a game changer that changes the way you relate to your spouse. It's a game changer that changes the way you parent. It is an absolute game changer. I am. Sodom and Gomorrah. So have that clear in your mind. I'm Sodom and Gomorrah. Have that real in your heart. I'm Sodom and Gomorrah. Come alongside other people. I am Sodom and Gomorrah too. Do ministry and love people as someone who is also in Sodom and Gomorrah. All right. Advent, the arrival. The arrival of someone who changes everything. Let's wrap it up. Verse 4. Ready? As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, his valley, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh. So what is all flesh? All flesh is referring, it's describing the human nature that's in something. So flesh is describing human nature in something, not describing human nature doing something. And that right there is also another biblical application that will change your life. Flesh is describing human nature in the region of Sodom and Gomorrah. Paul says it's the sinful nature. It's the Adamic self. Around here we call it the zombie self. It's a collapsed nature. It's a sinking nature. It's the nature of night. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. When Jesus was born, here's my question. And when I got to this point, when I got to this point, this text right here, I asked this question. Here's the question. So I'm going to ask it to you. How you answer it might direct your understanding of Christianity and might direct a lot of stuff in your life. Here's the answer. Or here's the question. When Jesus was born, the arrival, was God showing us something Or was God doing something? Is the incarnation about God showing you something? Or is God doing something? Is the arrival of Jesus in this world about something being shown to you or about something getting done? How you answer that will pretty much set everything for you. Verse 5 is the answer. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. In other words, the arrival gets something done. The arrival is something getting done. The arrival is something happening. The arrival isn't about God showing us something. The arrival is God doing something. The arrival isn't about Jesus demonstrating something. The arrival is about Jesus accomplishing something. Jesus was born to do something. Jesus was born to accomplish something. And according to this text, he was born to become a pillar of salt in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was born for fire from heaven to turn him into a pillar of salt. So that you never would be. He was born to take your place in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was born to lift that valley out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he was born to level the mountain of all your sin and all your guilt and all your shame. Let that, O valley, be raised up, O mountain, be made low. So there's a guy named Lieutenant Joseph Owen. Since I was already in the Chosen Reservoir last week, I decided to stay in it this week. 
There's this guy, Lieutenant Joseph Owen, and he was greatly, I mean, to this day, he's talked about in awe. Uh, he's a Marine, Lieutenant, and he was greatly admired for his courage under fire. Uh, the Chosen Reservoir was a two-week bloodbath uh, involving, I read, I couldn't, no one could tell me how many Marines. It was 30,000 Marines and infantry, Army infantry. So probably maybe half that were Marines. Um, and what it was, Chosen Reservoir was a valley, and surrounding the valley were endless hills, so 30,000 U.S. forces in the valley trapped in all the surrounding hills, 120,000 Chinese soldiers. So to get out, you have to go forward into the face of fire with an enemy that has a high position on you. All the historians said stuff like this, quote, an unbearable situation for a U.S. Marine officer. They had to order their men forward in the face of fire again and again and again and again. The only way out, to get out, you have to go forward. So Lieutenant Joseph Owen describes it this way. Whenever we got pinned down by enemy fire, I had to give myself the same sermon. You are a lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps. You are expected to provide leadership under fire. You have no choice in the matter. Then I would pick myself up off the ground and stumble ahead another time. Jesus came for you. He came for you. And he's coming back for you. That means you can get yourself up and stumble ahead forward while you wait for him to come. He already came, and he's coming. And now, in between that time, pick yourself up and stumble ahead because the arrival actually did something for you. Advent. The arrival, the arrival of someone who changes everything.